wounds are infectious Like a dog scratched ear The pleasure is high Welcome to the Box Tunnel Survivors Group, a place for those affected by the issues raised in the TV show, Being Human. Welcome to the Box Tunnel Pod, another supposed barbarity on the podcast airwaves. We are now at the penultimate episode of Series 3, and I think we'll better crack on with it because it is a bit of an epic. Though the Heavens Fall aired on the 6th of March 2011, it was written by Toby Whithouse and directed by Daniel O'Hara. In terms of Daniel, you can catch my interview with him in the previous episode to this. He directed Though the Heavens Fall and The Wolf Shaped Bullet, and he discusses his time on the free series of Being Human that he directed on. The cast, pretty standard, as well as our quartet, Jason Watkins, Robson Green, Aaron Richards, uh, Michael Socher, of course, and we've got Justin Salinger as Cooper. Here is my chat with Ruby. Joining me for their second visit on the Box Tunnel Pod, welcome back to Ruby. Excited to be back. Um, yeah, so before we crack on with The Longest Day, um, this is a bit of a weird question in the sense that I asked for your three favourite stabs in the back or best stabs in the back in TV or film or, or generally, but that doesn't necessarily mean the gruesome, horrific, violent actual stabs in the back like Herrick does today, <laughs> but more, it could mean more in this in the form of revenge. Uh, so w- what have you got? Um, I guess I kind of interpret it as like betrayals, if yeah. that works. Yeah. Um. So my first one, I did. Uh, I hope you've not stabbed anyone in the back. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> uh, first choice was uh, from Fargo season one. Have you seen it? Yes. Yeah, so weird. That's the only series of Fargo I've actually seen. Yeah. Yeah. It's. I mean, there's a lot of good seasons, but that's probably the best one. Um. But I guess spoilers for anyone listening for towards the end of the season, it's when um, Martin Freeman's character, uh, Lester, has to go into his office at night and he knows that the bad guy Malvo is waiting for him. So he tells his wife, oh, you know, take, can you go grab something? Take my jacket. I don't want you to be cold. And you think he's just being nice, but then you realize that he's trying to trick Malvo into killing his wife, thinking that it's Lester. And it's definitely the, probably the worst thing that his character does. <laughs> I mean, he's a very kind of, he's not a great guy, um, but you're kind of rooting for him. And then this is definitely when you stop being on his side. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a long time since I've seen it, but I do remember that particular arc in the, in the series. Uh, second one, I did um, Russell T. Davies' uh, show Years and Years. Oh, okay. Uh, which is really good. Um, there's just one season of it, and uh, it has Russell Tovey in it. Uh, and his character, I guess this is sort of more of a memorable betrayal than like a favorite one, because it's very infuriating. But uh, 
Russell Tovey's um, ex-husband character reports uh, Russell's current boyfriend to immigration for illegally working in the UK. And that just begins a whole chain of events that conclude with probably the most depressing, devastating, just stressful episode of television I've probably ever seen. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if I want to spoil it because it's definitely better to uh, go into yeah, it not I mean, knowing. <laughs> I agree with you. Like Years and Years is a staggering like series. It's only like six episodes and there's yeah. so much well so many different storylines going on with all the family but it's so many horrifying glimpses of just not just today's world but where we could be in the future is it's yeah Yeah. it's a brilliant uh, series yeah really good but also just so terrifying to watch (laughs) depressing yeah Yeah. uh and then my last choice was uh from the last episode of succession uh so spoilers for that um but basically when Shiv betrays Kendall during the the final vote for CEO after she had said that uh, she would vote for him. And I love the line she says where I think it's, I love you, but I can't stand you. And you you really feel bad for Kendall, but he definitely kind of deserves that moment too. Okay, so with Succession, like, you've really got to sell this to me because everyone says it to me. (laughs) You've got to watch Succession. You've got to watch Succession. And I, I did... Uh, I probably watched about three or four episodes in the first series a few years ago, and I couldn't get my head around it. I, I, I get that it's good, but I, maybe I, you're, I, you're not supposed to connect to the characters because they're all assholes. Mm. But I don't know what it was. I couldn't, and, and maybe one day I'll just watch it and go, "Oh yeah, I'm a bit late to this. This is really good." But mm-hmm. um, well, I'm pretty sure I think it's the same creator as Peep Show. So I feel like if you go yes. into it, you know for the comedy that's what drew me in because there's definitely times when I just had to accept that I had no idea what was going on and I was very confused by all the business stuff but I was really there for the comedy because it is a really funny show but then as it goes on you you kind of do fall in love with the characters you know you don't like them necessarily but they're very complex and the performances from all the main actors are just amazing hmm um, I've got three of my own and I thought I'd be quite literal with my first one because there's literally <laughs> a song called Stab in the Back by a band called Terrorvision from one of my favourite albums from when I was younger called How to Make Friends and Influence People and it's just an amazing song and I love it and that's that simple. The okay. second one, <laughs> the second one is a, a film probably about five or six years old now called Prevenge. And it's written by and starring Alice Lowe. And it's basically about this woman who's probably about six or seven months pregnant, but she loses her husband. And she starts hallucinating and believing that her unborn baby is making her and telling her to murder people. So she goes on this mad homicidal spree in to avenge her husband. <laughs> it's like a dark comedy and I love it so much. I've I've I haven't seen it but I've I've heard of it and isn't uh, isn't Mike Wozniak in it? I feel yes, like he I is, saw yes. yeah. Which who I, yeah. I just know him from Taskmaster, but that made me a little bit more interested because I really like him. Oh, you know, I I fully recommend it. It's absolutely bonkers. Um Alice Lowe is also in another film that I love called Sightseers. I don't know if you've seen that. I think I've I I think I tried it and I couldn't get into it. 
but yeah, I, uh, yeah. I, remember that but, one. I mean, there's a similar kind of atmosphere to it and tone to it, but like I think uh, Prevenge is a bit more gory. Hmm. And my last one, this will mean nothing to you. Uh, have you ever watched the um, American version of The Traitors? Nope. See, there's the thing. Like, <laughs> I'm not into reality TV at all. I find it all quite boring, all quite meh. And the UK series that came around last year, the first series, I was asked to review it, the first couple of episodes for a podcast that I sometimes go on, called The Custard TV. And I thought, yeah, it's it's great at what it is. It's very slick, it's very smooth, but it's just like people going, I'm not a traitor, you're, I'm a faithful. No, you're a traitor. No, I'm a faithful. <laughs> and like, how, how long can that last as entertainment? But for some reason this year, and I hate myself for it, I've got really involved in it. And there was two traitors, one called Paul, one called Harry, um, who basically got to the beginning of the third week. And then all of a sudden, like Paul was getting a bit above his station and like he thought he was going to win. And Harry literally turned on him. It was a total stab in the back. <laughs> he literally turned on him in front of everyone else. He turned on him and just got everyone else to vote for him and get rid of him. No one else in my house is watching this, but I'm telling my partner, like, oh, and then Harry did this, and then that, that. And she's just looking at me like, what's happened to you, Michael? What's happened to you? <laughs> so so Harry now is is adopting the pool role of being really egotistical and a bit a bit above his station that he's probably going to get knocked out and found out because he's he's just being a bit too obvious. But, um, yeah, there's three episodes left, so that dates when we're filming this, uh, filming this, uh, recording this. Um, and, yeah. I absolutely bloody love it. It's absolutely tacky, but I love it. Um, so in terms of Though the Heavens Fall then, um, do you remember first watching this and how how you felt when you first watched it? Uh, I I don't. <laughs> but it's it probably is... <laughs> stressed and anxiety. <laughs> That's yeah, I mean, definitely felt. with the ending. Um, but it's 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 probably a top five episode for me. Mm. Um. Yeah, it's it's definitely one I I really love and is rewatching it the other day. It it definitely it works to just to rewatch on its own too. Um, like I didn't feel like I mean I've been listening to the podcast, but as sort of a nice refresher of season three. But I was like, oh, this is kind of nice to just watch a really good episode that I love. <laughs> yeah, I think like you say, I I sometimes watch this one as a standalone and I still feel like when I watch it I still have those same emotions and the same stress yeah. as when I first when I first watch it. It's got that, it's so captivating, it's so brooding and dark and it's so tense that even though you know where it's going, it's so expertly performed and written and directed, you're just I'm always there no matter what. Yeah, and I think the the second to last episode of every season are always some of the best. I think they're yeah, always the like, most climactic. Yeah, it's like when the shit really kicks off, isn't it? Yeah. All right, so we will start 20 years ago, and we find a McNair with the hair weeping on the floor, a dead body prostrate next to him in the same cage. Up walks Herrick with the hair. <laughs> this doesn't happen. This often doesn't happen, so... um. I'm not quite sure what the protocol is. Usually we're hosing down the cage and giving young Alan here a blanket. <laughs> he does say it like that. Yeah. A blanket. Uh, he stands over McNair. 
So you did something remarkable tonight. You walked unharmed from a plane crash. Only now, I don't know what to do with you. Uh, then he gets on his metaphorical pedestal and does one of his big grandstanding speeches. You know, I think the biggest shock for me, more than the actual existence of vampires, werewolves and ghosts, was knowing that until the point I'd been allowed to live, once the curtain was drawn, he continues playing his arm with a knife theatrically, and I'd seen the true nature of nature, I realised that these nightmare creatures have permitted us to mine the shop. The monsters were merciful, but it was a fragile detente. Yeah, I find this quite an interesting thing, because firstly we're getting a glimpse of Herrick being evil Herrick before he's that in series three, because we've, we've seen him on the verge and mm-hmm. confused and... and But in a flashback, we're getting a little teaser for what comes. And also, secondly, I I find that speech very similar to... Certainly in theme to what Captain Hatch does in series five, where he's saying, basically, humanity is so dark and so of its core, so at its core evil, that supernaturals and, and villains like us are almost not as bad as on the world as what humankind can do to itself. It's that same kind of message. Yeah, I, I didn't make that Hatch comparison at all <laughs> on on my watch. But I, I definitely yeah, I, see that, it. Yeah, I think I only got it this time because the way he's talking about, you know, I mean, it's a common theme in being human, humans can be monsters, but the way he was just saying, you know, Almost like, if we weren't here, you'd still fuck yourselves over anyway. Mm. Um, Herrick asks his victim for personal information, marital status, job, and McNair forlornly mumbles that he's a surveyor. Don't tell me, semi-detached house on a new build estate, a car, the boss is a wanker, Sunday roast for the in-laws, paddling pools and catalogues, five-a-side and Belgian beer. God, it sounds horrific. <laughs> but that's all over now. I've set you free. While Herrick is ruminating, McNair clocks something on his face. I wasn't unharmed, he mumbles again. Please, could I have a bandage or something? It scratched me. He turns his head to show the scar to a gleeful Herrick. It's so interesting Uh, seeing a a very timid McNair. (laughs) It is. Yeah, I mean, is this the only time we see him in human form? I think it is. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I, I always wondered, like... That confidence, I mean, obviously, there's there's reason he's not very confident. He's just been locked in a cage and had to fight a werewolf. <laughs> you, you, you're going to be a bit inward after that. But, like, uh, yeah, I don't know if it's the werewolf, maybe, that brought him out and made him that confident because of all the shit he's been through. And, and almost like the werewolf is, is, is the defence because he knows he can do that. As we know what he does later, he knows if he needs to to fuck someone up, he's got the werewolf. Yeah. Although, I mean, if if he successfully killed a werewolf as a human, then I would think either he was already kind of a badass to begin with. True. Or I kind of, I think my own personal headcanon is that he kind of just got lucky. Because you see the knife on the ground and I, I can kind of picture him just just sort of, you know, cowering in the corner and just sticking the knife out and just getting lucky with getting him in the heart or something. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Like, a bit... Well, 
shamefully we don't a shame we don't see it but like a bit like herrick later gets yeah in a, in a sense lucky like it's a, it's a role reversal isn't it and it's a nice parallel with the two scenes and also herrick <laughs> this occurred to me as well on this watch he's he's a bit of a busy boy isn't he he's not content with being a police officer <laughs> in bristol as he was and still probably you know and then running the funeral parlour in Bristol. He's a court jester in a cage for fight <laughs> cage fights in Wales as well. You know, obviously we don't quite know the timeline because this is 20 years ago. So judging from Series 1 and Series 2, you know, he was in Bristol at that time. So he's just a busy man. Yeah, well, I guess when, you, when you're 200 years old, you pick up a lot of different skills. <laughs> Uh, back at Honolulu Heights, circa 2010, Mitchell is desperately trying to salvage something from Annie's investigations, stating that the police can find out about can't find out about the existence of supernaturals. Say you do lead the police to Daisy. Okay, they arrest her, they process her, they take a photograph, and bam, that's it. The world knows about vampires. This is first contact. It's biblical, religion, history, science. They lose everything. And Annie studying her wall of evidence is distracted by the lack of drawing pins. Vampires must have been arrested in the past, she offers. Considering she knows about the police set up in Bristol, I don't know. There's, there, there's Mitchell doesn't understand that there's a, that, that kind of setup that Herrick had in Bristol with the police and kind of same kind of agreement. So that's why Mitchell's panicking. But I always find with this, like, as far as they're both understood, there's no setup, there's no agreement with the vampire with the police in Wales. So Annie is really leading Mitchell to prison and <laughs> experiments and the whole world, as far as Mitchell's saying, that, you know, the whole world knowing about vampires. And he's not ever going to tell the truth because he doesn't want that to happen. So they will, uh, until the reveal that we get later on, they were always going to be at logheads. If they were going to go into another relationship for another year or two, it would still be the same issue, wouldn't it? As a relationship, they are kind of a dead end because they're wanting two different things. Yeah. I think she's just so blinded by her love for him that she can't see how obvious how obviously wrong she is and how guilty he obviously is. Morality-wise, she is right. Yeah. That the person should find justice. It's, it's such a conflict because obviously, for some reason, she does not know it's Mitchell. I don't know how she doesn't <laughs> know it's Mitchell. She just doesn't, even though he looks guilty just by walking into a room. But Mitchell's also right, because if there's a system in place, as in like he was in Bristol, as he says, like, yeah, but we used to have an infrastructure in place, in place to sort it out. So as far as Mitchell's understood, he does. there is no infrastructure and it will all fall apart. Uh, Annie slams the pen down. OK, look, what if it was me? Say I didn't die in that on that train. And so did Daisy. I think she means he did die on that train. And it was my picture in that incident room, not Leah's. What would you do? Um, and he says, I'll tear the world apart. And she says, that's a correct answer. She says, giving him an awkward kiss on the head. Yeah, I like <laughs> how she's just 
completely unknowingly making him have to sympathize with his victims and imagine if he actually knew them. <laughs> Although I guess she doesn't know that he did kind of go through that with in the Leah episode. It's it's kind of yeah, what Leah did, but unknowingly. Because <laughs> Annie's going, here's a victim, here's a victim. You know, think about them. Whereas Leah was a victim and confronted Mitchell with other victims. So he's getting it twofold, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, at the police station, Nancy is hassling Cooper again and Annie is watching on. That name I pulled off the information line. John Mitchell? I went to see him and he's a bit nervy, but he gave me another name. Daisy Hannigan Spiteri, some ex-girlfriend of his. The only Daisy Hannigan Spiteri I could find died in an air raid in 1941. So we kind of you know, that's the end of that pre pre credit scene we saw in series two. We kind of know exactly what happened there yeah. anyway. Oh, she says, why would they do that? And Cooper's response is actually correct. He says, because relationships turn people into psychopaths. And she said, I went back there and he's got a scrapbook full of clippings of the box tunnel 20. And Annie's face turns a bit to horror. Fact two, Cooper continues. Uh, they watch documentaries about children with an elbow for a face or something. Uh, Nancy is after a warrant, but Cooper isn't for turning. We don't make an arrest this week. Everyone in that room gets replaced. This clippings and ex-girlfriends, this is gossip. This isn't even a fingerprint or anything approaching proof. It's a waste of time and you are not going to pursue it any further. And of course, knowing what we know later in the end of series three, he, you know, he's being literal that they are going to be replaced. Yeah. <laughs> this scene, um, it made me wonder if if vampires have an added superpower of being able to ignore ghosts really well. Because when you watch <laughs> it back and knowing he's a vampire, you're realizing, oh, he can see and hear Annie and is just blocking her out. And I was like, oh, is that <laughs> like that seems like it'd be really difficult to not be distracted. <laughs> they they can do that unless they're in on a job interview with you. And then they go to pieces. <laughs> <laughs> I like how Annie here has an inbuilt respect for authority. Because even as far as she understands, she can't be seen. She does a little bow. <laughs> I love the way she still talks to, to Nancy, even knowing she can't hear her. Thinking that she can actually influence her and just the way she interacts with humans who can't see her is always so funny <laughs> uh, back in the attic there's a vamp in the attic what am I going to do uh, give him a shave that's what because Nina is grooming Uncle Billy that sounded wrong it's not grooming him sometimes I forget I said that uh, he asked do you trust Mitchell if Mitchell told me the sky was blue I'd have to go outside to check myself I love uh, that one yeah he says I'm a vampire, like the story by Byron. Those wretches who tormented me, they said so too. It's bewildering, isn't it? That woman who came to the house, I could hear her blood throb and pound through her in her veins. Yet I don't hear it with you, or George, or the girl. And this is very light carried in the sense that he's very disrespectful of Lavani. He doesn't even call her by a name, he just refers to her as the girl. Yeah. Nina replies, whatever you are, it doesn't have to define you. Take it from me. Herrick shakes. Define me? I'm hunger. That is what defines me. Hunger is the length and breadth of me now. 
These images in here are really dark, dark desires, and I can't sleep. If I'm the victim of a conspiracy to drive me mad, I confess it is working. Nina forces eye contact. Listen to me. Hang on to that. You are not going mad, but any other reaction in this house would be insane. Don't let this become comfortable. Stay separate. Stay appalled. They are strong words from Nina, but unfortunately they are immediately blunted because he says, I showed her the journal. She found it mightily interesting. Was that the wrong thing to do? I think, like, with this scene, there should be, like, a uh, evilometer gauge on the screen for Herrick because he's so convincing like what he was just saying to Nina he's so convincing and partly like I do believe him but you look where the scene started Nina was stood over him shaving and then now Nina's on the floor like trying to be compassionate to him and then Herrick kind of switches a little and he says Fiat Justita Ruit Calium, Nina, let justice be done, though the heavens fall. Now, I probably pronounced that really wrongly. <laughs> Isn't it but, um, th- through the heavens fall? Or is it though the heavens fall? Uh, though the heavens fall, yeah. Oh, I think I've been misreading it this whole time. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> I thought though the heavens fall, well, it's it's pronounced Fiat Justica Ruat Calium, or Celium, I don't know. And it's a Latin legal phrase. And it, it literally means let justice be done, though the heavens fall. But I've, I don't know why. For years, I've always just assumed that was from like an old poem. But it's not. It's just an old Latin legal term. I don't think I've ever heard it before. Yeah, I just looked it up on, on Wikipedia. Yeah. <laughs> it's like justice must be done regardless of consequences. See, we, we do our research here, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> and I also noticed with the with the shaving scene, I know that's a really common trope in media of the character who's shaving someone else because it's always meant to signify that they could kill them, but they choose not to. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because they've got the blade, maybe. Yeah. Literally held to their throat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Even like looking at famous modern uses, maybe because I just like being human so much, I thought... Oh, that that would make the modern uses. There's literally an episode called that, but no, they mentioned Better Call Saul, mm. Middle March, a program, Heart of Darkness, and a novel, and loads of other things, but not being human. Where's the respect? Mm. It's not right. <laughs> I will take my revenge on Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, because he's still being unpredictable how much of this is an act even at this stage because even now i watch it and go yeah he is having those visions yeah he is scared by those visions but how much of it is he playing on like he knew what he did when he handed that scrapbook to nancy Mm. i think what always gets me and what makes me question whether or not it is real herrick or not is all the moments we get when he is alone and you don't see the mask slip the way, like when he mm. when he's freaked out by his lack of reflection, yeah. and just all the times. Because I mean, we do see those moments, but it's always it's always when he's talking to someone that we see the the real Herrick come out. But the fact that there's all these little moments where he's still Uncle Billy, who's all scared and freaked out, that's what always makes me think. Okay, maybe Herrick is there just under 
the surface, but he can't quite get out and only can occasionally come out and be menacing. But on the surface, it is genuinely this Uncle Billy, but I don't, I, it's hard to tell sometimes. Yeah, it was at the heart, you know, he's had Daisy and Kara saying he's a vampire. He's had, he's had Mitchell telling him he's a vampire. He's, he's, he's getting those urges and those dark thoughts. Obviously, He's for, formulating that there is something in that. Yeah, it's, su- it's such a complex performance. It's so mad. Uh, so the doorbell goes, and it's ten minutes into the episode, and this is the first time we see George. Uh, McNair hobbles in, being carried by Tom, and Nina is on nursing duties once more. McNair asks if there's any news on the baby. You're showing, he says. Yes, yeah, so she asks, how did you get this? Vampires, McNair beams proudly. Got us this morning. Payback for the dogfight. I I killed two. Tom killed two. <laughs> he says, I'm surprised they haven't come for you and George yet. Maybe they don't know where we are, Nina says hopefully. Oh, trust me, they know. You must be off limits, probably because you've got their poster boy looking after you. <laughs> and McNair senses an atmosphere suddenly in the house and he says, something's changed. I mean here, something's different. Now, wolves must have really good sense of smell. If that, in that moment, he's going, hang on a minute, Herrick's here. And it is a full moon, so maybe it's heightened, the sense yeah. of smell. Yeah, I mean, he, uh, as we later learn, he knows full well that Herrick is there. It's not even a yeah. doubt. It's not even like, oh, there's a vampire in this house. He knows who it is. Yeah, I think especially because uh, he asks to stay right after figuring out that Herrick is there, and I, I wonder if, if he, if he wasn't going to ask to stay, if that hadn't have happened, if he hadn't gone. Oh, Herrick is here, we should stay. I don't know. Yeah. It seemed like that was all planned out. That was his motivation. Yeah. yeah. In the kitchen, George, yes, George of all people was preaching to Tom that he should be living a life full of chlamydia <laughs> and twenty-four hour hangovers. He offers Tom the opportunity to live with them. McNair would never agree to that. Uh, no, he wouldn't, Tom, because he wouldn't. <laughs> Can you imagine McNair agreeing to Tom living with a vampire? Never uh, screw bloody, <laughs> Screw bloody McNair. Tom picks him up on his language. McNair says it suggests a limited vocabulary. I speak six different languages, George says, so McNair can sort, can sort of piss off. Uh, it's a little bonding moment of sorts. It's all, I always find it quite odd as well. Like Tom always refers to McNair as McNair, not Dad, really, does he? Or is that just since finding out that McNair's not his biological father? I feel like he called him Dad. Yeah, I might in... have done, might he? Yeah, like in episode one, I'm pretty sure he says Dad. So, yeah. So, yeah, this is, this is the first time it's made the connection that since... since discovering that he's not his dad he then just suddenly goes mcnair okay yeah how does mcnair feel about that like he raised him yeah he's obviously fine with it mcnair himself is up to tricks and like as we say invites himself to stay at honolulu it's a full moon and he wants their basement and i like how mcnair is trying to uh pair tom and george up maybe you could watch some cartoons (laughs) maybe george will take you for a pint they both look at each other awkwardly. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they could drink pints and watch cartoons together. It'd be a weird mix. I love how 
they never used the basement for any full moons, even though that was one never. of the main reasons they, they chose this hideous house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it just never works out properly, does it? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, perhaps they just wrote it in and thought, oh, they've got a basement, that's really handy, that that negates any <laughs> troubles on full moon. Oh shit, we better realise we've got to write some re- reason why they can't be in the basement. Right. <laughs> Uh, at the police station toilets, Annie is shitting a load of nonsense. That's what my notes generally say. <laughs> to an ignorant Nancy. I know why she's got a scrapbook. If there's a big crime or something, the vampires take care of it themselves. He's investigating this too. He knows it was Daisy and wants to bring her to justice. Just like we do. She's trying to convince herself and no one else. I mean... Uh, what is she playing at? <laughs> I know everyone's watching it go, what are you on about, Annie? I think she just can't, she can't bring herself to even consider him being guilty. Like, it's not even in her mind. She's like, oh, I can't even, she can't even comprehend that because it's so scary, I guess, to imagine. But what I find interesting, I guess we never, when she's on her own or anything or away from it, we never even get a glimpse that she might have doubts whereas with George sometimes we've had a couple of two or three small moments because we know that George knows or there are hints that George knows yeah. but with Annie it, it does seem she's, she's just so set on the fact that he's innocent yeah and then with, with Nina it sort of seems like two sides of the same coin of where Annie wants to do the right thing but that but she thinks that he's innocent, whereas Nina wants to do the right thing, but she thinks that he's guilty. Mm. It's a complicated household. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Nancy is oblivious to her rambling, stands up and looks in the mirror and tells her reflection, John Mitchell, I'm going to get you. And this is met with a mild celebration by Annie. Now what I find here is where it's, breaking the fourth wall or something i don't know but annie's looking in the mirror and she can see herself or we can see her or yeah exactly or we can see her yeah so there's a moment in series two when her mum comes and visits her in that uh, dressing room and she makes that origami rose flower yeah and i remember spotting like when she goes to make it you can see annie's reflection in the mirror annie's not directly looking in the mirror part of me goes well that's just a mistake they perhaps probably shouldn't have filmed it from that angle or something and annie shouldn't have been seen in the mirror so is it just for the viewer because i guess if we see her then we're going to see a reflection because we know she's there if you can't see her you don't see the reflection yeah i would i would give them the benefit of the doubt that it's not a mistake and that maybe it's meant to be for the viewer and then when we see her holding the rose it's it's we don't see her because it's from her mom's perspective um yeah but i do wonder if if the other supernatural characters can see annie in a mirror i don't know they can they can always see her but does she show up in a mirror to them you'd think yes if you look yeah. at us, if you look at it from the same point of view as a viewer, 
if Annie can see herself in a mirror or reflections, you'd think the same would be the, true of supernaturals. Yeah, so like we are almost having kind of Annie's view in a sense. It doesn't really matter. I don't know why I'm moaning about it, <laughs> but <laughs> but it is it is it's just one of those things because. I mean, it's a bit do- dodgy ground anyway with the whole reflection thing because sometimes in, in being human because of budget or whatever, you can see vampires' shadows or things like that. You know, they yeah. can't CGI all that out. But I also wondered if maybe the main reason to have that shot with Nancy was that Annie kind of looks like she's an angel on her shoulder. Yeah. And maybe that was the intention behind that shot. I don't know, because she's you know, trying to positively influence... Nancy, like she's kind no, of like that's... a little angel, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> that's a very good point, actually. And what turns out to happen, it does act, follow that storyline in the sense that Annie saves her. So, yeah. Okay, back in Barry, goth boy stalks the street, smoking his fag <laughs> seductively and enters Honolulu Heights. As he skulks in, he's visited by George, then Nina stroking her tummy. Then Tom, and then finally McNair <laughs> dominating the living room from his sick chair. George I've, never, I've never seen someone look so intense while lounging on a couch. <laughs> yeah, kind of puts his hand up and go, all right, sucker. <laughs> uh, George approaches again. I forgot to mention, we've got guests. Mitchell sighs in utter disbelief. That's five. Grabs a beer from the fridge and George double checks what he said and he wrecks himself and says, that's fine. Oh, I didn't catch that. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> he's, yeah, he's literally because... counting them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, he's got a wolf-shaped bullet on him, as far as he's concerned, and now he's surrounded by <laughs> four living werewolves and one baby werewolf. Oh, or do you think he's counting... Would he be counting Herrick? Or do you think he's counting the baby? He, no, he's counting, he's counting the werewolves. And, huh. and the baby, yeah. yeah <laughs> so yeah. he sees the baby as another threat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, if it's like anything like film Prevenge, Prevenge, <laughs> that I was talking about earlier, the baby could be subliminally saying to Nina, kill Mitchell. <laughs> now that would have been a plot twist. <laughs> uh, um, so yes, Annie Renta goes in just as in, but he doesn't stop his single-minded journey to the attic. He, he flings the jacket down. Herrick struck by fear on the floor, whimpering away. Okay, listen, it's a full moon tonight and downstairs there's standing room only for bloody Lycos. So are you going to tell me how you did it? How did you survive that werewolf attack? Uh, Herrick is gasping. You keep asking me this. These are riddles. And again, like if we're talking about power dynamics for, for the Nina and Herrick scene earlier, the relationship between Herrick and Mitchell is a constant power dynamic anyway it always has been but this is Mitchell in total control yeah. like he Herrick's just on the floor flat on the floor and Herrick uh, Mitchell is like pretty much verbally abusing him and physically manhandling him Mitchell continues I haven't got time for this the old Herrick knows the answer so we need to find him now I know you're in there you old bastard I could see you sniggering behind his <laughs> eyes and I love that because that's literally what us as viewers have been thinking all series. He's in there. He's in there. <laughs> and Eric again exclaims, I don't know what it is you want from me. He's kind of doing a monologue now. He says, there's only one way to bring you back, but I won't do that. I'll do anything for the answers to your resurrection, but I won't do that. 
<laughs> it's like fucking meatloaf, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, not yet, he says. And he backs off, regains his composure, grabs his jacket and leaves Herrick in a shaken state. Uh, why is it... I mean, there's so many complications going on with this, but why... I'm trying to analyse why he's delaying reviving Herrick at this moment. I guess if he because... knows... If he knows that he has to kill, that Herrick has to kill someone yeah. to become regular Herrick, I wonder if he's maybe just not desperate enough, and it's not until he realizes that he can kill two birds with one stone by having Herrick get rid of Nancy for him. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the whole balance between the police... I mean, if you're talking about Nancy being the one that he wants to get because that's the obvious option it's bad enough having nancy at your door and in your house questioning you but then if you get the police officer murdered <laughs> it's it's going to be even worse isn't it so i think that's probably the the reasoning and like you say he's probably leaving it as to last minute as much as he can yeah until he until he has to pull that trigger really uh downstairs annie tells george and nina I know who killed the box tunnel 20. Mitchell told me. And when she says the name Daisy Hannigan Spiteri, George shouts, <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, and he goes on to explain the scrapbook. Nina is shaken. So he didn't do it. I mean, really didn't. And Annie is disgruntled and offers a firm no. Uh, and I also find this thing, like, it clearly shows this has been, apart from... Mitchell and Annie really with the police officer. This has been an unsaid force that has just been throughout the house. Because Nina hasn't really discussed with George that she thinks Mitchell did it. But then she's outwardly going, what? So he didn't do it. George <laughs> isn't saying that he knows he's done it. They, they, None of those two have had the conversation with Annie. And it's all like, it's all come out now. Like, oh, hang on. So, I mean, it has been an overbearing issue of the house all series, but literally they've not really talked about it. And now Nina's gone, what? He didn't do it. (laughs) Yes, so many, so many plot lines could be resolved in TV shows if people just talk to each other. Oh, yeah. Being human, especially. (laughs) And then Um, George is just too, he's just having Daisy flashbacks the whole time. (laughs) yeah, Yeah, well, that's it. He kind of does a little wistful, wistful like <laughs> reminiscence, like "Ah, oh, Daisy." She said, "Her," he said, "Her and her husband attacked me and Mitchell a few months ago, but it does, it does sort of make sense. She was pretty wild. She's um very determined and tenacious, and he gets a glint in his eye. <laughs> Surprisingly strong, nimble." <laughs> I don't know if Nina just doesn't care that George clearly had a thing with Daisy or if that's just not the main discussion at the moment, but she must be able to tell based on his rambling. Well, she's a bit affronted. She says, you do know you're saying this out loud, don't you? (laughs) But I feel like there could have been a a, a follow-up, but I guess they had, they were a little distracted by Mitchell stuff, but (laughs) it just doesn't come back. It doesn't, but it never comes back, to be honest, because obviously George did cheat on Nina. Yeah. We forget it, because obviously Daisy's not in it a lot, and it happened at the start of series two, but he, he, it, we kind of forget it. And he does it, it's it's sort of 
at the the worst state of his and Nina's relationship too, and then they you know take a break for most of season two, so it just kind of is never brought up again. Yeah, yeah. So in no time at all, Nancy is back at the door, and the Mitchell Nancy face off is back on. Back in the kitchen, Nancy questions him. John, why do you have a scrapbook full of clippings of the box tunnel twenty? And urged on by Annie, he tells the truth. It wasn't mine, he goes on. It's Graham's. This surprises Annie because, I mean, he's verging on truth here because it was Graham's. But Herrick must have a really strong sense because he can feel her heartbeat pretty much through the chimney from the attic down to the the bottom floor. I guess because she's the only human who's been in the house while he's been in there yeah. or i guess the social worker but maybe it just it it's kind of well, amplifies it because she's the only yeah. one and it, it wasn't strong enough then i guess was it with the, the social worker yeah <laughs> uh, uh nancy continues i want to talk to you about daisy hannigan's for terry and he kind of can't look at her any luck finding her no but then she did die in 1941 <laughs> why have you given me the name of someone who died 70 years ago he now paints Daisy as a fantasist and Annie walks away with annoyance and Mitchell's eyes follow her. John, Nancy says, I know you're dicking me about. Do you know why I want to know how I know? It's all pretty basic. The muscles around your eyes don't move when you smile. Generally, your body language is limited and stiff. The lack of direct statements, lots of probablys and I thinks. Plus, there's the well- willingness to change the subject, even though I just said a friend of yours died in World War Two. <laughs> and she says, last thing I'd like to talk to, Nina's Uncle Billy again. Mitchell smirks, because he says, I'm not sure that's a good thing. And when she responds with, I don't bite, he becomes more smug as a light bulb moment appears above his head. Sure, why not? I just make sure he's presentable. <laughs> Nazi grabs a glass as he leaves the kitchen. I think Aiden is so good in this whole episode, but that moment, that slow smile that creeps onto his face when he realizes that Eric can get rid of her. He's just so unsettling and he's so good in this episode. Also like what would he do in this situation in the sense that other people around the house if Nancy was killed that the rest of the house would be alerted to it. Yeah. And then okay so Herrick is a vampire and he's bad and then I think everyone would be on side. Nina, George and Annie would go well you need to fucking kill him. And then he wouldn't have his answer because he can't go, oh, before I kill you, Herrick, <laughs> do you know how you came back? I really need that right now. And they're, they're, everyone else would be like, what? What are you fucking talking about? Yeah, I don't, I don't, He's <laughs> not thinking things through. <laughs> <laughs> Surely not. Uh, in the attic, Mitchell cautiously approaches Herrick this time. The policewoman is back and she wants to talk to you. Herrick states he cannot be trusted. Mitchell picks up a t- toy soldier. The first time we met, we were soldiers. You know war's real. It's a different planet. Men have to do things they'd never dream of. Things that seem terrible, heretical. But in a war, these things can be heroic, selfless. They can save lives. Herrick half-heartedly says that they're not in a war. Oh, we are. It's a secret war. But yes, we are. And sometimes we'll be asked to do things that seem to be bad, but they're not. And this is very important. They're not bad. They're brave. Uh, Eric continues his ignorance. Mitchell, I implore you, keep that woman away from me. And he, but he just carries on with his speech. It's not being a coward. 
and it's not failing it's being brave enough to let nature take its course i love it i love the way he, like mitch is saying it but it's also a bit like he's speaking to a child <laughs> yeah and this is another one where he's he's also physically looking down on on herrick again right yeah 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 yeah, yeah. all those years of mitchell and herrick have had the a payoff here because mitchell is kind of using the same language and same psychology that herrick probably used on him when he was younger and also herrick uses on his victims he's doing exactly that he's playing herrick at his own game really yeah straight from the herrick playbook i suppose it's like a, a, a battle of words on leaving annie uh mitchell is accosted by annie and good job she didn't rent a ghost in very selective it's always selective <laughs> Andy's, uh, Annie's rent a ghosting in. Imagine if she had walked in on that. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> she says, what are you doing? And Mitchell decries, what the hell do you think you're doing bringing that woman back here? She thinks you're the murderer, for God's sake. Just give her Daisy. What of this bit of this don't you understand? Uh, none of it, Mitchell. I, please, I hope you understand this now. I give her Daisy and everything ends. And she says, you get arrested and everything ends anyway. And he says, I won't allow that to happen. I told you, I'll deal with this. He doesn't really know what his plan is, but he wants to take it away from Annie. Uh, downstairs, a rambling Nina approaches Nancy, admits that she was the one who phoned the hotline, and then offers Daisy as a name. Nina, I, I, I fucking love Nancy, the way she delivers lines as well. Maybe you can help me out here. Why has John, and now you, give me the name of someone who died before the cocking coronation? <laughs> Uh, Mitchell brings Nancy into the attic and he scrambles about on the floor like a dog that's had a blanket thrown on it. He's breathing heavily as Mitchell leaves. He closes her in to face her doom. I love the scene so much. It's so fucking tense. I wanted to talk to you about John. I think he's giving you some very big secrets to look after. And Herrick edges nearer, his eyes dead, his mouth hungry, eyeing up her neck. Uh, she gets to turn on the light and Mitchell has a pang of regret just at the right moment and he drags it out just in time as Uncle Billy's fangs show up behind her. He ushers Nancy out of the house, but she has a glass from the kitchen. Yeah, I always think like in, in telly, these moments are quite funny where she didn't have to like literally pretty much do two or three steps out of the door and go, oh, I've got a glass here. <laughs> you know, you can't wait till you get into the car. Yeah, but I they know... could have seen through the window. Yeah, exactly. I know I know it's because it saves time. You don't want to see her walk all the way yeah. to the car, then do it. I, I, I get that, but it's quite it's quite funny how she's literally just doing it out of the window. And Mitchell didn't notice her just taking one of their glasses <laughs> on her way out, mm. which is I guess he's distracted, no, but <laughs> I think she well she it she did a decoy, didn't she? When he went up first he she grabbed a glass. And obviously, when she was in the kitchen and showing, she grabbed, grabbed another. She she probably put that one that Mitchell had been holding, maybe, in a bag, and then yeah. just got another one out of the cupboard and then handed it back to him. Like, oh uh, yeah, that that was the glass she used. Next up, we are going to need a montage because Tom and George are getting ready for a full moon, and not for the first time, George's meat size is severely lacking. <laughs> <laughs> Herrick. Herrick, it's a weird montage you think about it. Herrick licks a knife while Nina makes his bed. <laughs> uh, Nina is showing concern over the size of a lump, and the three of them set off to the woods while McNair stays in the house. Oh, and that As look 
sorry. Yeah. <laughs> that look no, between yeah, yeah. Tom and McNair, I feel like you don't realize how how important it is until you rewatch it and realize that that's the last time they see each other. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Mitch, well, I guess Herrick doesn't think he's going to die, so he's no reason to to go to take Tom to one side and say goodbye. I know he does that with a note. I mean, he's confident he's going to win, isn't he, I suppose? Oh, you think so? But then he does the note, doesn't he? I feel like because he does the note, he knew that it was very likely that he wouldn't yeah. survive. And then if he had... I mean, if he had said, oh, I, I love you, Tom, that would have maybe been a bit weird. I mean, uh, although he is he is very affectionate and talks highly of Tom a lot of the time, but you don't really see him say, like, oh, I love you, son. So maybe that would have made... Yeah, you're right. Uh, and also, from the from the meeting we had with them 20 years ago, you know, I think probably McNair does fear him. Oh, yeah. Little. Yeah. Yeah, that's a very good point. Uh, so yes, as they leave, McNair finds pen and paper and start writing uh, a note next to Annie's crime wall. He hasn't really shown much interest in the massive crime wall of like dead people. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite a bizarre thing to have in the living room, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but it, like, I get there's not enough time to cover all that, is there? I suppose though so they just go right. He asked the question, "What the hell is that?" And he's <laughs> investigating crime move on uh nancy enters a big old warehouse with the box tunnel 20 train carriage inside annie as ever is on her heels cooper is there and he sounds excited i got the results on those prints this guy john mitchell tell me about he's about 85 or something i've got this contact in forensics he's found a match in fact he found two matches but this is where it gets weird match one sheffield Sally Fenzer, severe head trauma, body found by her flatmate. And I like that, how that's a little flashback to the very start of series one, where Leah took him to that very crime scene. Oh, I didn't make that connection. Yeah, yeah. I always remember it because Leah always goes, she asks, where are we? And Mitchell says with a distressed tone, Sheffield. (laughs) (laughs) So it always makes me laugh. So yeah. Then he says, check the date, 24th December, 1960. The second match was for the Box Tunnel 20 Massacre. Prints from your suspect were found in the carriage. The Box Tunnel 20, they were in blood too, meaning they were the post-mortem. Nancy, somehow your guy is the guy. And this is the moment we've been waiting for, I guess. The realisation finally hits Annie like a ton of bricks. Annie playing detective also solidifies the fact that Mitchell was willing to lie not just to the police, but to Annie. So that's much more personal. Because, yeah, I don't know, it's just... I think all that horror just rushes to her head and goes, oh, shit. Yeah. Although with with this scene, what I always wonder is, why did Cooper bother telling Nancy about the prince matching if he's just going to kill her? Um, I think in a bit he says he would kind of want to recruit her, maybe. Oh, really? Yeah, there's a bit he says, yeah, well, whether he wants to kill her and then recruit her or just kill her. But, you know, oh. vampires love, you know, they love performing, don't they? <laughs> yeah, it's they that love, villain that, monologue. Yeah, they love revealing their master plan. True, true. Yeah, so Cooper continues, I suppose the concern is you'll find something else. And with that, he knocks Nancy out. 
At Honolulu, Mitchell paces around a suspiciously dark and empty house. He lets out a little snigger to himself, thinking the house is free of werewolves on full moon. Prophecy, my ass, he says, and Mitchell turns on the stereo conveniently as McNair emerges from the basement. And for a short time, it kind of looks like, as McNair appears behind Mitchell, it looks like he's the target, but he starts making his way up the stairs. Yeah. In a very calm this is very this is the difference between like McNair and George and Nina. It's a very calm mid transformation, isn't it? Yeah, he and he kinda seems to enjoy it too. No, oh, yeah, he's reveling in it. Uh back at the crime scene, Cooper declares himself. Frankly, Mitchell could have done couldn't have done more to implicate himself if he had left a confession and diagrams. The work we've had to do to cover this up, I swear. Apparently his girlfriend was some nutty vampire killing Christian. Mitchell was never a team player, but arresting him, sorry, we can't let it happen. We like our privacy too much. Don't get me wrong, you're good, tenacious, uncompromising, qualities we really like. So he's kind of hinting that he, he wants her as a vampire. Right. And she says, Jonathan Cooper, I'm arresting you for assaulting a police officer and perverting the course of justice. Uh, Nancy hasn't got a clue what he's going on about, uh, that they can't be arrested and has a ghost following her around. <laughs> And she just mumbles, mad as a badger. And just as he's about to give her an evolutionary promotion, so yeah, he wants to recruit her, and give her the gift of vampirism, Annie appears to stake him from behind. So Annie is now a psycho killer. Yeah, is this... I didn't realise that this was the first vampire she actually killed. Yeah, I think she gets a bit more comfortable in it in series four. (laughs) Yeah, because I was trying to think of... Who she's killed before, and Kemp was the only one I could think of. Yes, yeah. Or whatever she did to him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> cause of death unknown. <laughs> <laughs> so there is clearly in Cardiff that system in place that Bristol had, but it's quite intriguing as Mitchell's and old one doesn't know about it. But also, as series four hints, Cutler is involved in this. Hmm. I don't know. It's, it's, I find it strange that Mitchell, as known as he is in the vampire community, doesn't know that there's a network in Cardiff to cover it up. Yeah, you'd think that he would know, but I guess he's been a little preoccupied. <laughs> uh, so in Honolulu Heights, McNair bursts in on Herrick and he clocks him. Long as I live, I'll never forget that sense. You remember me? <laughs> <laughs> Herrick, who frankly has had enough of this madhouse by now. I assume that you are the victim of some another barbarity I'm supposed to have committed. This use of language offends McNair. <laughs> Fucking Southerners. So let's see if this jogs your memory. You walked unharmed from a plane crash. Only now I don't know what to do with you. Herrick states that Mitchell wants him alive. That's a plan, mocks McNair as he closes the door. He hears you. He runs up here and I get two new teeth and he proudly shows off his enamel necklace. His his Colgate necklace, I suppose. I remember every single one of them. He's like, you know, I guess like Mitchell says he remembers every one of his victims. McNair remembers every one of his victims. Oh, he starts no. pointing. He starts pointing out some of the teeth. Marco, he was a scrapper. And I'm sure Marco was one of Seth's friends in series one. Yeah, I, it was only until this 
on this rewatch that I made that connection because it's I remember he's in the scene when they're beating up George in the flashback. That's it. That's what I remember. Yeah, the cafe. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't know if he's in any other scenes. Don't think so. Hmm. Uh, This one here, Scottish girl, very pretty, Daisy, fought like a cat, and this space here is for you. So here we go. Rest in peace, Daisy. No knickers. We loved you. I really wish we could have seen her death scene or their fight just to see how McNair outsmarted her because they seem very oh. equally matched. Yeah, it would have been a proper scrap, wouldn't it? It would, yeah. yeah, like he says. I mean, that would have been an amazing thing. And I guess that's the kind of thing after this episode they could have done as a yeah as an extra or something. I know, but obviously they didn't. They didn't have the actress signed on for the series so yeah you probably couldn't do but yeah that is one of those matches you would have loved to have seen and it's also a convenient way of bringing a character into the storyline because obviously Mitchell as far as Mitchell's concerned he's still she's still alive and he's been trying to indirectly pin the blame on her with the police but not so she's gone out of the equation and also it can just you. Can, it's a way of killing off a character. In a good way, but because it's it's like saying to the viewer, this character's not going to be back again, or almost. Yeah. Because sometimes with characters that have gone, you think, oh, they might come back, but this is a definitive no. Yeah. One more. One more flashback would have been great. Yeah, that's it. Uh, McNair's body convulses and he falls to the floor. Herrick pleads for his life. Whatever his crimes, the man you knew is not the man before you now. Vampires don't reform, states McNair, before having a fight with a bed. Mitchell, <laughs> in his own head, is oblivious to the noises and faces Annie's wall of crime. Yeah, look at me. I'm saved. And I think this is the first moment that Mitchell kind of acknowledges that he's never going to escape this. Because even if he thinks, I'll get away with the Box Tunnel 20 stuff, he kind of knows he's fucked, doesn't he? Yeah. He leaves the house and the wolf howls just after he leaves. And it's a, I guess it's a different transformation to what we've seen before in the sense of the confidence of McNair. I guess it's not the first time that Herrick has faced this situation because there's so many parallels. Because there's a nice touch a couple of times with George and Herrick in the attic at this series where there's a role reversal and they're being nice to each other. And then Herrick literally caging George and Mitchell at the end of series three yeah. in the next episode. And I guess like, this is another situation where like Herrick is faced off with a vamp, uh, werewolf transfer- transforming. And it yeah, makes you think, really why, did, why, parallels. why didn't he bring a knife to the, the end of series one finale? <laughs> I guess because he was expecting uh, to face off against another vampire and not a werewolf. That's a very good point. But, I mean, yeah, he really gave into it, I think, in season one. He didn't, he could have tried to open the door, but he didn't. Yeah, that's it. If he had died from this, you've got to remember also that this is probably another reason for announcing Daisy's death. Daisy's dead. Kara's dead. 
And Kara is his right. protege. He, he can't be brought back. This would have, this would yeah. be the end. Oh, that's a good point, yeah. So a dazed Nancy wakes up next to the carriage with paperwork perfectly laid out next to her. And then following the transformation, Nina and George are in the hospital. This is quite a, a gear shift, I think, from where we were. <laughs> because it's, it's funny, like, we don't even... Got bear in mind, like they've just gone to the woods. Tom, Nina, and George have gone to the woods. We don't see any of their transformation at no. all. Uh, they're in hospital for a checkup. Uh, she has twigs in her hair, and Nina makes George out to be a very toxic boyfriend. The nurse clocks Nina's stomach and says, "How many weeks are you? Eight weeks?" She replies, "You must have got more your dates wrong because there's no way you're eight weeks. More like 16. Uh In the daylight, Mitchell skulks back home because he does a lot of skulking in this episode. Uh, and he's watched on by Nancy from her car. Uh, what was he doing all night? Just going down on a 24-hour <laughs> pub? I don't I don't think Barry has 24-hour bars. What was he doing? I think just brooding. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But that's going to raise suspicion in the street, isn't it? Like, there's this guy just walking around, looking like a goth, being moody and sweating. That's what he's best at doing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he walks in and he can instantly sense something is wrong and charges upstairs to be greeted by Robson Green's bum, the first and last tick on the McNair bum box. Uh, Herrick is hunched over, still in shock. He became a monster and he attacked me. Nancy calls calls the police in. I'm outside 8 Coastview Road, Barry. I'm attempting to arrest John Mitchell in connection with the box tunnel 20 murders. But we have reason to believe he is armed. Please assist. Now, this is a fucking huge moment. This is like a culmination pretty much of the series. I know that the, the, the start of the end game, I guess. Uh, Mitchell enters the living room to be faced by Annie. Uh, he immediately knows that the game is up and she says, I know. And it all dawns over him. How did you find out? He forlornly says. Nancy and a vampire. Was Daisy even involved? Yeah, but it was my idea. Thank you, says Annie. The hurt etched across her face. That's probably the first honest thing you said to me in months. You let me love you. There was this cancer between us and you let me fall in love with you. Uh, and Mitchell's declaration of love rings really hollow here. Oh, could you love me? Do you have any idea how inadequate that sounds? And I killed a vampire. I've never been so much as squatted a fly. And, well, you, you uh, state Ken. <laughs> he, he, he didn't count. <laughs> He didn't count. He was a he was an <laughs> arsehole. And I rammed a stake into his back. It spreads, Mitchell. What you've done, it's contaminated us all. And I like the way how this scene is shot because the room looks so big and both of them look completely lost in it. They look tiny in the room mm. and they just look like lost souls in this huge room because it, they are both lost. They're both... Yeah, and they're both crying. and oh, It's just so hard to see Annie this upset. It breaks my heart. But this is where Annie can be really fucking good. And it take, probably mm-hmm. this is her uh, push, pushing point. So, you know, switch has flicked to, to say those words. They're so powerful. She, she's been accused of being quite sappy in series three. But those lines she just delivered there, they're fucking they're the worst lines that Mitchell's heard all series. And the, yeah. the, the thing that crushes him, really. Uh, Mitchell says he's sorry. Looks like he's going towards Annie to hug, but she turns away and he sits down. Mm. 
You turn yourself in. Give those families that comfort. I know that there's good in you. I know that the man I love is still there. And Mitchell sobs. Everything will be torn apart. The entire world. They can't know. They can't. Annie announces that she will stay with him. It's not about fear or punishment. Jesus Christ. I want to be punished. But it can't happen like this. And like Annie says. This scene is. Actually Mitchell being honest. Because there is part of him. I think that does want to be punished. But he also doesn't want the reveal of vampires perhaps that explains partly why he's been a bit lost this series because he just he knows he's in the wrong but he just he can't do anything about it he's stuck yeah it's just a total moral dilemma yeah i mean it's uh, i think this this performance but by both of them is fucking incredible this scene oh yeah i'm i just like oh i'm always on the edge of my seat when i watch it even (laughs) though i know exactly what's happening (laughs) and she's and he says this has to stop Oh, yes, and before she can finish the sentence, there are bangs at the door and it's the armed police. Uh, As we know, bangs at the door and being human are always bad things, but this is the (laughs) armed police coming to arrest Mitchell. And he says, if they arrest me, I'm going to have to kill them all. And it's the conflict of the series. Mitchell is right. Vampire's been discovered will change everything, but Annie is right that killing has to stop. So it goes back to what I'm saying earlier. They're both... As a couple, they just won't work because they're they're at a constant conflict. Morality-wise, vampire-wise, ghost-wise, it, it it just wouldn't have worked as a relationship. I just I just believe that. Yeah, it it always had to end. Yes, that's it. Uh, Mitchell goes to the kitchen and smashes a glass as the police flood the house from the front and back. Let this happen for me, she says. No more killing. He gets to his knees and is cuffed. Nancy enters, looking like the the cat that got the cream. John Mitchell, I am arresting you on suspicion of murder. And a dishevelled, well, an even more dishevelled looking Mitchell, looks to Annie and says, you've no idea what you've done. And is dragged away by the police. Uh, Yeah, a shaken but relieved Nancy returns to the house and realises that Uncle Billy is in the attic. And she enters the room, sees McNair's dead bottom... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and the rest of him it's not just his bum that's dead I mean his, his whole body's dead and uh, I've got a weird image in my head I need to get that <laughs> yeah I can I can picture it too <laughs> <laughs> and a fanged up Herrick strikes her from the side uh, Mitchell is pushed into the police station by jeering officers, officers and then taken to the desk when he's asked for his name he says, fuck you, listen to me. Date of birth, Mr. Fuck you. <laughs> and when pressed for his date on, on his birthday, Mitchell responds, July 27th, 1893. Please let me go. It can't happen like this. Not here, not in Wales, which is a fucking <laughs> awesome line. It's shameful enough being arrested. The things he's done has been shameful enough, but being arrested in Wales is the fucking <laughs> limit of it. What, uh, what's so bad about Wales? <laughs> <laughs> it's nothing, it's lovely. <laughs> <laughs> Just not good for vampires, maybe. A disgruntled officer calls DC Reed, saying it's her collar. Cue Shirley Bassey and Herrick in his sexy PJs covered in blood resurfacing in the daylight glow. He looks to his right, sees McNair's dead bum and the rest of his body <laughs> to, to his left and Nancy gasping her last breaths. He kneels over her and the scene cuts. I always find interesting is that they never show what happens after that scene with Nancy. 
because yeah in in my mind i kind of agree with cooper she'd have made an amazing vampire but i assume because there's no fallout from it he just let her die and didn't recruit her yeah and it seemed like he was he was wanting to lean in to listen to her dying breaths yeah that's true like yeah like he was enjoying the suffering yeah but what did they but I had, what did they do with on. her body <laughs> I do. Well, this is the thing with Honolulu Heights. What do they do with any of the bloody bodies, man? Because <laughs> yeah. uh, Tom buries McNair. Did he also separately bury Nancy? I feel like he's a good oh. guy. He would maybe give her a burial. Yeah. Oh, it's just too complicated, isn't it? And there's even more bodies that appear in a minute. <laughs> oh, true. Right. Yeah. All those. <laughs> yeah. I at this at this stage, and I even at, I knew it at the time. But I wanted Nancy to be recruited as a vampire. And because there was uncertainty about, like, obviously Mitchell leaving, the way he does. Spoilers. <laughs> and we knew we were getting a Series 4. In my mind, I thought, what if Nancy lives in Honolulu Heights? What if yeah. she's the vampire in Series 4? That's where my mind was. Oh. I was genuinely like, oh my God. Because I love Nancy as a character. And she would have been amazing. And it'd be it'd have been a different thing to have like a female vampire as well as, there, as a there's lead. not there's not enough female vampires on this show. There's no. so few. I think I'd have loved it so much. Can you imagine? I don't know. She'd have been so spiky and and fun as 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 a lead vampire. Oh, that would have been so great. Although, I mean, I think I'd still want Hal, but no, of course, yeah, yeah. no, absolutely, I'm not, yeah. It just is the way it goes. And also, I think part of me which. Before the cast announcements of Series 4 happened, I was talking myself out of it because I thought, well, are they, as George and Nina, because as far as we understood, they were staying, and Annie, going to want to live with the person who was trying to bring down Mitchell? <laughs> be a, an interesting dynamic. Yeah. Well, or I mean, that, she you could have been a ghost. Play on it. Yeah. She could have had one episode, maybe the finale, she could have showed up as a ghost in the house and then oh. she could have passed over by the end and they could have had another conversation or two oh justice for nancy i want yeah. more nancy ghost vampire eva okay so george and nina are, re- are returning home discussing the unknown gestation of a werewolf only to be greeted by police signs across their garden nina immediately knows what's up they've come for mitchell oh god george i'm sorry i'm so so sorry i reported him and she tries to explain herself and george is fucking furious uh, have you any idea what you've done? The danger you've now put us all in. Uh, yeah, I think she does, uh, George. And he storms off to the police station to find his friends. There's not much George in this episode, is there? There's no. hardly any George at all. N- nothing that is that productive to the storyline, really. I which guess is unusual. In the in the the previous episode, it, he had more of his own storyline yeah. so maybe they're trying to even it out but i was just gonna say it's so hypocritical of him to yell at nina for not telling him when he never told her he knew mitchell was guilty yeah it is like come on <laughs> <laughs> yeah like this uh, all I mean, could have I... been avoided <laughs> this all could have been avoided i reckon series two Episode seven. Mitchell could have yeah, just yeah. <laughs> smashed up his bedroom to get his anger out, you know? 
Uh, Mitchell is wrestling as the officers try and capture his fingerprints and DNA. And now the moment he's been dreading most of all. Right then, Gloria O'Swanson, time for your close-up. Now I looked up Gloria O'Swanson because I di- I, I've never thought, who is Gloria O'Swanson? I've no idea. And she was an actress from like the 40s or 50s. And she's a brunette. And she's got quite curly hair from the pictures I've seen. So I think... Oh, okay. <laughs> so I think... It's quite a weird reference. I think he's just going... He's got dark, quite curly hair. <laughs> Gloria Swanson. <laughs> it's quite a mad one. I think I think the best one is the... Um, was it last Russell Brand at the shop? That yeah, Richard that's says. That's the best one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because that really hurts Mitchell. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Nina cautiously enters the house oblivious to all the dead bodies and I love that shot she walks yeah. in and all those dead bodies led beneath the bar and goes to get a drink of water uh, the re- newly rejuvenated legs of Herrick appear behind her he stands there in police uniform as if time hasn't evolved um, yeah Nina at first takes a little while to clock doesn't he she, that she, he's in the uniform I have something of dilemma Nina Perhaps you could help me. See, the thing is, your boyfriend tore me literally limb from limb. And that's when her face kind of goes, oh no. Mm. Now, aside from anything else, have you ever heard of anything so undignified? He grabs her, puts his hand over her mouth. But the pain was incredible. I remember every moment. So now, not unreasonably, I think you'll agree, I want him to suffer. But not for moments, for days, weeks, months. And the best way of doing it that is, um, it's killing you. And Nina's eyes are wide with fear. Now here's my dilemma. You were kind to me. Everyone in the house wanted me dead except you. It's a naughty one, isn't it? His face looks wrought with the immoral implications of it all. And he lets go and walks away. And says, you're right, my quarrel is not with you. And Nina leans over the sink as he leaves but that is a big mistake. And I love how like the shot the, the shot doesn't change. He walks out that door going, no, no, I'm off. And then literally like a second later, he just bursts back in. <laughs> but then people would say, I'm going soft. That glee, Herrick glee in his face as he knows what he's about to do. And he stabs her in the back. It's so strange to have this death fake out for Nina, you know, since we find out that you know, she obviously survives only to then yeah. kill her off off screen an episode later. It's so strange. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, it just wasn't the plan, though, I guess, at that time. Uh, I think things change so quickly. But yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, I mean, not that it's nice having a death on screen that involves stabbing anyone. <laughs> but it, if we were going to see... Nina die it is better to see it on screen isn't it I guess yeah or it's just so weird how okay you think you think she's dead oh now she's actually alive oh and now she's dead once you get to season four yeah yeah it's kind of a roller coaster of emotion oh it is this whole episode is and and, and even this scene like even though Herrick is Herrick again and there's absolutely no doubts about it this time this scene kind of plays like all the grey lines and the unpredictability and the moral implications that Herrick has played on all series. Because he's going, but you were nice to me. You were good to me. And I know I'm bad and I know this, but I shouldn't be doing it. I shouldn't 
my problem isn't with you. So you, it, it, as with the whole series, Herrick makes you feel almost easy for a moment and then comes in and fucking stabs her. Yeah. It's, it, it's that unpredictability that I guess that's his personality. So it shone through when he wasn't well either. Uh, at the station, Andy, the, the officer, having clocked that Mitchell isn't showing up on the screen, is being harangued to take the picture. Oh, God, Mitchell exclaims. <laughs> and then snap, flash, boom. And that was though the heavens fall. I fucking love it. Uh, like you say, it, it could be like a top five episode. It's fucking incredible. Yeah, and such a such a stressful, intense ending scene that it always makes me want to watch the finale. And I'm probably like the only person who doesn't like the season three finale, I feel like. Whoa so it's there. always Yeah. Well there, Ruby. I know. Come on now. We've I'm, all had a drink. I know. I'm, <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's talk this through. <laughs> I'm I'm more well, of a I mean, season one finale will always be the best in my opinion. Love season two, love season four finales. This one just I, it just doesn't do it for me. But then this episode really hypes me up for it. And then I'm disappointed uh, when I watch it again. <laughs> okay. What is it about the finale that maybe leaves you a bit flat or just I disengaged think, me? I think it just really drags everything on and on. Especially the last, I don't know, maybe 15 minutes. Mm. I love I love the, the cage scene. I mean, any any cage scene in the show, I love, but I love that reversal with, um, with Herrick back in control and trying to have George kill Mitchell, and having that be the reveal of George already knowing and telling him that Nina's dead. Um, I love that whole scene. Everything else, I just find kind of dull. Cool. Anything else to add about though? The heavens fall. Um. Oh, Nina had that line where she, when she, they were talking to the doctor and she was saying that they'd been together for a year. And that really stood out to me because that's, that seemed, oh. that didn't seem, that didn't sound right to me. But I wonder if it's... they're not counting when they were, when they took a break in season two. I would have thought it'd been a, be at least like two years that they've been together, but. Oh, mm. when the timeline for being human is weird, obviously, because it, it goes out every year. Yeah. But literally, sometimes episodes are like just two or three weeks apart from each other. Or sometimes yeah. like the start of series three is like just two, three, four weeks after series two. Yeah. And like Mitch, uh, George said about Daisy earlier, he said, oh, she attacked me a few months ago. Oh, and if you yeah. think we're t- If we think we we're towards the end of series oh, three. Wow. That can't be right. I know. A few, a few months ago? Yeah, and you can't wow. even time it realistically by full moons because I don't. Not every episode has the full moon transformations, and also there are probably times where they do skip a full moon. In yeah. The timeline. So you can get like a minimum amount of time that's passed, I guess, by counting the full moons, but it's not going to be super accurate. But yeah. I don't know. When she said a year, that just really surprised me. I mean, I me. remember. I'm sure I remember something on Tumblr years ago. Someone was trying to work out, some mad person, <laughs> as mad as me for doing a podcast about it. <laughs> Um, try to work out the timeline for being human, and oh, it, nice. <laughs> I think it only kind of works out about eighteen months to two years. The whole wow. timeline from series one to series five. Wow, something like that. I'll have to try and find it, but yeah, it's it's not that long. 
that's an intense (laughs) two years. years. (laughs) (laughs) You need a gap year after that. (laughs) Thank you once again to Ruby for coming on the podcast. In terms of notes from the afterlife, I don't particularly think there's anything else left unsaid. I think me and Ruby covered that episode pretty in depth. One thing I would say, and it kind of plays on my mind throughout Series 3, is the fact that at the end of Series 2, Mitchell says, go to the country, escape the cities. And obviously, he's... I mean, they were traced down at the end of Series 2 anyway by Lucy, of course. But I just think it feels very soon to flee Bristol and then head to Barry, which is a big town and not far away from Cardiff at all. You're still in a very urban area. Would his life have been easier if he'd stayed in the countryside as they were at the end of Series 2? I don't know, probably not. Mitchell's life was never going to be easy. Yeah, it does feel like very strange that they headed straight to a big suburban area. But I guess in Mitchell's mind, he's fleeing England and he's going to Wales. It's a whole new area. And um, yeah, that brings up the whole thing about the police covering up the Box Tunnel 20 incident from Cardiff. I I still find it strange. Perhaps it it would obviously be a bit too convenient if Mitchell knew that there was a cover-up going on in Wales too, because then he wouldn't be so panicked. And what we find out down the line is that there is another factor that is behind it. But that's down the line. Anyway, before I go, I will just give you a little bit of cast watch. A couple of news pieces in terms of Annabelle Scully, who is our Lauren, of course. She is in a Paramount Plus show that came out about a month or so ago called The Serial Killer's Wife. Uh, She plays Beth, and her husband, Tom, who is a doctor, is arrested on suspicion of being a serial killer. Bit of a Dr. Harold Shipman vibes going on there. And she investigates with a friend, and the investigation leads to some very dark places. Paramount Plus is obviously a pay-per-view streaming service like Disney, Netflix. There's so fucking many of them. It's it's absolutely crazy. Uh, I haven't got round to watching it yet. Um, I hope to. It, these things sometimes end up in Netflix or Disney Plus, but uh, yeah, it sounds very interesting from what I've seen. And also, it's announced very recently in the past week or so, she is teaming up with Colin Morgan of uh, Merlin fame and humans and things like that for a psychological thriller called Dead and Buried. Uh, this was announced by Virgin Media Television. Virgin Media Television is that another streamer? I don't know. It's kind of got. BBC Northern Ireland's involvement in it. So whether it's going to be on BBC, don't know. But uh, that's started filming recently, apparently. And also, our favourite devil, Captain Hatch, is starring in the Channel 4 drama True Love. Phil Davis stars with Lindsay Duncan, Clark Peters and Peter Egan. This is written by the same people who came up with The End of the Ethic World. So it's got a quality stamp through it. Uh, It's on my list to watch. It's about a group of older friends who form a pact, kind of a suicide pact as far as I understand it, about having dignified deaths. And if any of them need to be put out of their misery, (laughs) I'm sure they wrote it a lot better than that. Uh, They come up with a, a pact to end each other's lives if they are suffering. 
but obviously being a drama things get out of hand and it becomes much more disturbing than the idea so to wrap things up then the next full moon episode will be the series three finale the wolf-shaped bullet and then the following full moon we will be covering becoming human uh, the Adam spin-off and we will be taking your end of series three questions on that episode as well there are also two or three interviews lined up coming in the next two or three months so keep an eye out for those you can support the podcast by going to coffee.com slash box tunnel pod and you can donate a little bit of money it just keeps up with the running costs of running the pod any money is gratefully received you can find us on twitter at box tunnel pod on Tumblr at Box Tunnel Pod as well, and and Facebook and Instagram as the Box Tunnel Survivors Group. If you want to write to me any old nonsense, just contact me at boxtunnelpod at gmail.com. I will sign out as I sign in with Dog Scratched Ear by Henry's Funeral Shoe. Until next time, Mr. Fuck You. was the Box Tunnel Podcast, and thanks!